So I think there's this this important thing for the industry, and I, I know you didn't ask me this, but this is important, is to continue to learn all the new platforms, all the new media channels, and be really curious about going into those things and seeing what's possible. And then the people who control those channels have to bring creative people in, bring creative thinkers in so those things can happen. Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy, and welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Now, today I'm sitting down with Sean Lyons, global CEO at the IPG agency RGA. For those of you who don't know, RGA is a creative technology agency and innovation consultancy headquartered in New York City with a global footprint. RGA was co-founded way back in 1977 by Bob Greenberg and his brother Richard as a digitally assisted filmmaking studio. But today, it's evolved to a leading technology innovation company for brands with breakthrough work for Nike and Beats by Dr. Dre. Today, it has a portfolio of brands that most agencies would envy. And at the head of that, I want to welcome Sean Lyons from New York City. Welcome, Sean. Thank you, Darren. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Look, uh, RGA has been an outstanding uh, example of what happens when you redefine a category. And I'll, I'll tell you why I say that. I noticed that on Wikipedia, you're described as a digital agency. And I think while that's a convenient pigeonhole, you are much more than a digital agency, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. And the amazing thing about Wikipedia, since it's crowdsourced, you get, you get, you get the crowd deciding who you are. We've always struggled to, to describe ourselves in one way. I think uh, at our heart, we're a design and technology company. That goes back to the, the intro you talked about with Bob and his brother starting the company. Um, but this manifests into a couple different services, and it includes brand design, advertising, and a customer experience side of the business. And each of those things have intersections with each other, which is what what is quite powerful. Um, also, we built them all organically. We haven't uh, we haven't rolled any agencies up. We haven't bought any agencies, so we've been able to maintain that culture and that consistency throughout time. So that's how I would now. It's obviously a proposition that appeals to you because you've uh, invested a significant amount of your professional career working with RGA, haven't you? I mean, I think you joined them back in 2005. I have. I've been here a long time, but I, I, um, I was there for 10 years. I left for a few and came back. And at RGA, we, we call that being a boomerang. And we're proud of that, actually, because you go out and you find out new things. Uh, you learn new, new things you didn't know. You interact with different businesses and brands, and then you bring it back. Uh, RGA always felt like home to me. It really did. It felt like I just continued my education, my schooling in, in, a, in a commercial environment. So I'm very proud and uh, lucky to have been with this company for so long. And that's interesting that you brought up your education. You know, what was the thinking that drew you to doing a Bachelor of Fine Arts in electronic media? You know, it's just an interesting course. I, I'm, I'm I'm seeing a young Sean sitting there going, hmm, of all the things I could go to and do at college, this is the one I want to do. What was what was behind that? Yeah, it, it sounds um, almost sounds antiquated now when you think about it, right? But I'd love to tell you that it was my own genius that decided that. I have to give my father uh, full credit for pushing me in that direction, really. I, I, um, 
I studied fine art for really 10 years from eight, eight years old to, to 18 outside of schooling. So I would go to a, a studio uh, art program for three hours uh, for three days a week. So I was learning to do painting, drawing, sculpting, all those things. I think he saw the opportunity to use my you know, art skills, but really bring them into the new century. And uh, I went to Carnegie Mellon University, which had an incredible fine art program. But the fine art program at the time was run by a roboticist, which is incredible wow. opportunity to be trained under someone like that and to be learning the fine arts mixed with um, computer programming, early, you know, very rudimentary r robotics and other things that uh, exposed me to an entirely different world than, than I was used to. I mean, I grew up <clears throat> in, a, in, in the 80s, but uh, we didn't have a computer in my house. We had a typewriter. My father was more almost a Luddite in, in a way. Uh, so that was like a, that was like an entirely new world for me, especially at the beginning of the commercial internet. Cause I went to college in the, you know, early to mid nineties. Trinity P3. I think the whole area of technology, you know, people talk about how it changes, but also the language around it changes. I remember, you know, it used to be called interactive media before it ever became digital uh, advertising or digital media, didn't it? You know, it, it's gone through uh, many iterations, which is why I think even today you probably find it hard to actually define what you do because it sits on a basis of technology as, a, as an application but definitely has des, um, human-centred design and, yeah. and creative thinking and strategy and a whole lot of things all rolled in together. Yeah, it, it, it does. And I think um, over time, what's happened is there's been a lot more specialization. Obviously, the language has been refined. A lot of the metaphors that we use to describe the internet, you know, um, uh, the information superhighway, things like that, those are those are gone and antiquated, right? But they were required to give people an understanding of, of, of what it was and to describe it in a way that, uh, in a way they understood. And then, of course, the, the services and the skills that people had um, were, were described in, in similar ways. So, I think the biggest change has been just the the really when you ride the wave like the commercial internet, which then you have the mobile revolution on top of that, the social revolution on top of that. You end up having dozens upon dozens of experts, as you know. Think about the media business today, and think about think about all the types of design that we have within the company. Um, so yeah, that that is the um, <clears throat> that is the most interesting part, but that's also the most complex part. Is how do you build and cast teams for clients with that many different specialties? And how do you uh, recruit and retain uh, people of all those different uh, types of skill sets? So I think that that's an everyday job for me, for sure. Now, I don't want to uh, bring up a uh, an awkward or difficult question, but you know, when you boomeranged back to RGA, you ended up running the US business, which is significant. I mean, the US is, is the biggest advertising market still in the world. But then you were handed the chalice to be global CEO in 2019, and almost straight away, there was a once-in-a-century global pandemic. And I just want to just, uh, get your thinking around this because it's interesting talking to leaders about their thinking and approach of managing something that happens once in a century. Yes, and I think I was lucky enough uh, and naive enough not to know that all these things would happen, right? And so you, you, you take the role thinking about all the things you need to do and the, and the shoes you have to fill with Bob Greenberg, who's you know, the chairman and uh, founder and um, who I'm very close with still. Uh, 
but really what it was was a pretty incredible schooling actually i'll tell you because it forced me to make quicker decisions about what we should be doing in a crisis like that it it forced me to improve my communication with the company and at the frequency of the communication because of the immediacy of that of that challenge so i i look back at that with with real um i'm thankful for it in a way because i think it accelerated my my growth as a leader for sure and it also allowed me to trust myself a lot more uh in, instead of second guessing what should we do i had to really trust my team and my gut um so yeah. that that was that but massive challenges you know and for the entire world to be going through the same experience is completely unprecedented and our clients were feeling the same thing which was actually quite helpful you know i think there were a lot more human connections made during that time with our clients because of the shared experience well yeah your own example is of someone that's managed a career th- with one company and getting opportunities to to grow and and uh, expand your your skill set with that company i mean apart from the boomerang which i think yeah is a is a as you point out a really positive thing during the pandemic a lot of agencies saw a huge amount of churn and and since then uh what has that been a challenge for rga and if so how have you uh, uh, attracted or or maintained your uh, talent base it, it is a challenge it's a it's a uh, persistent challenge i think in the industry and for us i think um what's been unique about us over time and I've learned to turn this into a positive for us in terms of the the, um, uh, the fact that RJ is often one of the first places recruiters look for talent. I'm actually, I'm obviously proud of that because uh, we have incredible talent. And we talk about ourselves as the Bauhaus of Silicon Valley. So how do you combine the, the creative and, and collaborative nature of, of the Bauhaus with the technology and know-how of Silicon Valley, which is very much needed in Silicon Valley, as we know. And a lot of the RGA diaspora are are the creative uh, teams and leaders and producers inside of those companies. So, so it's been, been definitely a, a big, a, a big um, uh, we've dealt with that a lot. I would say um, we also find that we uh, are hiring those people back. Uh, many of them often want to come back to our GA, but also to the industry we're in, which actually provides so much, which we know, variety, um, new problems every day. Uh, it's not for everybody, right, to, to deal with the um, ambiguity that we have to deal with every day. But a lot of people do choose to come back. So we have that. We also have very strong relationships with many different schools. I'm on the board of uh, Parsons School of Design in New York. Um, we have uh, many people at SVA and, and, and SCAD and many other universities around the world that enable us to connect with, with talent um, uh, very early on. So we're creating an impression for our GA through, through the schools as well. Um, and then I would say, lastly, as you know, uh, the work is what drives clients to us. It's also what drives talent to us. So when you focus on that, you realize you're going to be able to uh, continue to uh, attract the best talent and, and more of the best talent. And it's clear that RGA is a talent-driven business because uh, I know you know many people that work with RGA and you create these opportunities across your network. You know, a lot of... Uh, network agencies talk about creating overseas opportunities for their employees, but you guys actually appear to live it. Is that a deliberate strategy? It, it has become one. And I think in the beginning it was done out of necessity. And, and uh, I remember just the, we would send people from New York before we had other offices to help establish ourselves in other places. In the beginning, we thought those people could maybe run that office. But as you know, you need to combine your core 
DNA of the company with 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 local talent. It's essential. So it, it developed into 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 a, a strategy really. I think we've turned it into this concept called mobility because what used to happen would be somebody in New York would end up working with the team in Sydney. They love this creative director that they're working with, <clears throat> and they would speak to them on the side, almost like in a black market way to try to get them to move. Right. So so it was already happening under underneath the, the process. But when you think about it as mobility, it becomes a thing you can apply for. We can use it deliberately, and we can move people from one place to another, which is which is really an effective tool for us. I think we've probably done about a, a 90 different transfers, uh, you know, this year wow. uh, to different places. And you know, sometimes those are moves within the U.S., but oftentimes they're 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 bigger moves. So really important aspect of what we do, and I think that's what keeps the consistency across the different offices we have. It also does exactly what most people are trying to do, which, you know, that cross-pollination, you know, the collaboration that you build by actually putting people in other locations. And I also think it short-circuits this. I don't know if it's uh, happening in the US, but, you know, should you work from home or should you come to the office or is there a hybrid model? And I keep saying to people, what we need to do is just create options and flexibility for our employees because, employ, you know, they're ultimately the value that uh, is delivered by the company. So why can't we build something a bit more flexible? Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And I think we um, <clears throat> we embrace the the flexibility that this uh, that the pandemic actually created, um, and and didn't look at the office as a place where the work happened. The, the office uh, is is a can be an incredible place. But you can connect in many different ways, not just digitally, right? So the idea is that you have to look at the office beyond being a container for people. You have to look at the company as that, right? So what what are you doing as a company to enable that to happen? An in-person, you know, um, uh, connection is a real part of that. That does not. That's absolutely essential. Um, so I would say that would be key. I think the other thing that we find that makes this easier for us than others is we built some software that that uh, that we use to manage. Our teams and projects on our own. So we've had this software for many years, and that that allows us to to easily manage the business that way. But also the work that we do, driven by the clients, often requires a global team. So really, I'd say 40% of the projects we do have two or more offices involved, or two or more locations, mm-hmm. if you want to say that. So even without going into the office, you still need to do this. You still need to create that yeah. connection. Trinity P3. Now, just to uh, to go back to your first uh, time at RGA, it's the first time that I actually uh, had the experience of coming into the RGA office in New York at the time, a different location to where you are now. And as soon as you walk through those the gates and the big iron fence, you could get this feeling there was a real buzz about the place. And I remember sitting down because it was part of the Ad Forum uh, Consultant Summit. So you had, you know, 30, 40 odd pitch consultants from around the world being uh, bus chauffeured around New York City to various agencies. We're talking 2007. So it was when most agencies were talking about digital as just more uh, media channels. Yeah. And yet we sat down in RGA and there was a presentation at the time, I think it was uh, Nick Law, who's an expat Aussie living in yep. New York, uh, and Barry and Bob, and, and uh, I think you may have even been in the room. because uh, and, and the conversation was totally different to all of the other 
agencies that we'd seen where you weren't talking about technology as a channel or digital as a channel. You're talking about technology as a platform where you could create customer experiences as opposed to storytelling because almost everyone else was talking about telling the brand story through digital channels. Whereas you guys were talking about customer experiences on digital platforms. And some great examples that popped up around that time were obviously uh, the Nike Plus Band and and the the, uh, Beats by Dr. Dre uh, headsets and things like that. Where has that story gone? I'm, I'm using this as an, uh, as an opportunity for me to catch up with where that thinking's gone because at the time it was revolutionary and breakthrough and, and fresh and it made a lot of sense. But I'm sure as technology and, and the marketplace has evolved, your thinking around that's also evolved. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and I, and I think um, it's funny you think about that time because we, we were not used to working with the ad forum and... and, and um, uh, and, and advertising consultants. We, we were a bit misfits and a bit of outsiders. You might've noticed that. We obviously, we prepared a lot for those because it was really important for us to be able to tell our story in, in our own unique way. I think a, a lot of what we have been doing really since the kind of, again, since the beginning of the commercial internet still remains true. I think some clients understand it, some don't. When you look at the internet or digital technologies, just as a place to place your ads, you're kind of losing 75% of its value or more. It's not that, right? We know that. Now, it's a big part of it. It's, it's what you can do now. It's how it's been commercialized. We understand that. But it really has to be looked at uh, from a, you know, what useful thing can I do for my customer through this channel or way? Uh, what utility can I provide? And if I can provide something, how do I provide something that's different or better than my competitors? And it has to be looked at as that. And that's what the early web taught us. That's what mobile provided. That's what all these platforms uh, do. The same thing is you start to think about the confusion and uh, ambiguity again uh, with what's possible in the metaverse and that that really broad umbrella term about what that means. Similar discussions I was having uh, again at the beginning of the uh, of the commercial web and also with early mobile. What can I do with that? The first app you saw on the uh, iPhone was that iBeer thing where you would t- you tilt it and the beer would, would tilt with it. <laughs> that was how those things were demonstrated. Now think about the NFT craze and all these digital trinkets that are being put out there. Those are, that's the version of that. There'll be real depth in utility coming from those, those channels as well. Um, I think the biggest change has been the importance of having a connector, whether it's an agency or, or someone inside the company or a philosophy to make sure that your physical experience and your digital experience and your uh, just overall customer experience is connected. Not from a data perspective, actually from a brand behavior perspective. How do you show up on customer service? How do you show up uh, in store? How do you show up in stadium? That that that's that system has to be really uh, built on a what we call a brand operating system. And that brand operating mm-hmm. system has to permeate all those different pieces. And I think that's really the, um, uh, the, the bigger difference. Some of the technologies have changed. I'm surprised, I'll tell you, that the, um, the knowledge has not uh, grown as much as I thought in order to uh, use these technologies in these new novel ways. I'm hoping the metaverse uh, creates more of those opportunities where there's more invention happening within brands. And uh, that's that's a lot of what we try to do with them when we're uh, consulting on, um, on these projects. 
But Sean, I think there's still a lot of scope inside Web 2.0. I, I get your point about the metaverse creating yeah. more opportunities, but uh, you know, as you were explaining it, then you know, I think a lot of organisations and especially a lot of CMOs find themselves with the title of Chief Marketing Officer, but in actual fact, they really only have authority and control over communications. And so, you know, they literally are reduced to having one lever to pull, which is the advertising or comms lever. Um, And, you know, customer experience, call centres will often fall outside their remit, Uh, distribution centres, you know, um, the the customer interface. Even, you know, I've I've known of some CMOs that have a huge e-commerce business, but they cannot influence beyond the lo- how the logo appears inside this online store <laughs> to the customer experience. That's you right. know, it's just, it's bizarre that uh, organisations think so in such a siloed way that they're missing all these opportunities. It, it's, um, it, it's surprising that it hasn't changed as much. And I realised, uh, I was telling a, a team, we welcomed some new interns into the company uh, about six weeks ago. We did it virtually. It was great. But I reminded them, I said, I think I ended up progressing in my career at RGA because I was a really good communicator and translator between technical teams and and creative teams. Now, those creative teams could be marketers or they could be designers, but I was really good at that. And I was able to bridge the gap between, in the case of my early career at RGA, the Nike technology team with the Nike marketing team and RGA. And I think that um, <clears throat> there's times where you have to break down a, a team or a company into smaller parts. Otherwise, it's too 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 big and too bureaucratic. But I think they're missing uh, a trick by not combining services uh, uh, together. Uh, most CMOs cannot handle that amount of work. It's, it's impossible. So you do need multiple leaders to control this. We often find that there's a CMO and a CXO, or maybe not those titles, head of marketing, head of experience. And we have to kind of bridge the gap between those two. And we become the tra- translators between those two. Um, and that involves building trust with two organizations that have often very different goals, but they have a single customer in mind. And uh, I think that's actually where we're at our best is when we're in those situations because we understand both of those. We may not, we may be doing purely digital marketing and advertising, but we do understand the platform. So we're able to uh, c- kind of consult with the experience team to make sure that those landing pages work, the experience we're creating works, or that they're creating works. So uh, that role of translator cannot be um, underestimated. Because there's a lot of discussion in the industry around the importance of uh, customer experience, you know, and this idea of customer experience design is certainly a, a, a powerful one. But I often find it's limited in its application. I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I had a, a major global beverage company come to us to talk about media and and they wanted to engage us to help them with the structure of their media arrangement. Mm-hmm. One of the first questions I asked is, you know, of course you're talking about beyond paid, owned, earned and shared. And they went, oh, no, no, that's a totally separate. I'm not responsible for that. I'm only responsible for paid media. And I said, well, there's half the value being lost because your own media, all of those assets that you've invested in, yeah. all of the shared assets, all of those, you're just completely ignoring. Yeah. You know, I can imagine one of the roles that you'd find yourself playing as, as the agency for these clients is really acting as a connector for them across the organisation. Absolutely. And I think that's what the modern lead agency does. And I think we, we've developed into that role through through practice and through happenstance at times and 
just, just as you described it, I mean, you were just describing even a more fragmented and complex ecosystem, which is the media ecosystem and, and um, in all of its various uh, components. Now, that that's a whole nother uh, part of RGA that's new since you last spoke with us or have been there. I've built a media business over the past five years, not, not a traditional media business by any means, but what we realized is that if we're developing work and developing ideas, they live in the context of media. We all understand that. So to better, to better innovate in that space, we have to really understand those media platforms. The same way we understood the technology platforms to develop things like Nike ID, Nike Plus, and Beats, yeah. and all that, right? So um, we built a pretty significant team. And what we found is we, we look for you know, uh, opportunities to almost hack or break uh, uh, media platforms. And you look at the work we did with uh, Reddit. We actually just launched some work with Reddit uh, in, in Australia recently. Uh, but the work we did for the Super Bowl two, two years ago in the US, we bought five second spots locally across the country, uh, which are on-air promo spots, which people know about if you're in the media business. Yep. And we use those, those five second spots to disrupt the Super Bowl and, and enable people to go on their phones and figure out what happened, right? So that's a, that's a media idea. That's not a creative idea. You have to understand how media works to be able to, to, be able to, to do that. So I think there's this this important thing for the industry, and I, I know you didn't ask me this, but this is important, is to continue to learn all the new platforms, all the new media channels, mm. and be really curious about going into those things and seeing what's possible. And then the people who control those channels have to bring creative people in, bring creative thinkers in so those things can happen. Uh, the worst that can happen is you start uh, hammering things down to three or four formats, and that's how you deliver the ads, and the innovation's gone. And I think that's the that's why we always look for those platform partners who want to experiment more and clients that want to more but well your point about curiosity i mean curiosity is the source of innovation and creativity isn't it you know unless you're curious unless you're constantly i i want to understand how things work you know i always think uh uh, scott haggardorn uh who was at um uh omnicom group you know he and i had a conversation very early on about as kids we used to love pulling things to bits, you know, and, and it's that sign of uh, childhood curiosity. We both agreed that we very rarely got to put them back together, but at least we knew how they, they came apart. You know? And I think that's such an important value because, you know, you often notice within organisations the mindset of, well, that's how it's done here is the point where you've given up on curiosity because you've yep. just accepted that that's the way it is. And sadly, I think we find that in a lot of big uh, agencies as well, you know, that size can often uh, start to make people less curious because just to control and manage these huge businesses um, yes. can, can require command and control rather than allowing people to just explore their opportunities. Is that something that uh, you've actively encouraged at RGAs to keep that sort of sense of wonder and, and curiosity? Yes, yes, ab absolutely. I, I think I we, we try to do it in indirect ways versus by saying be curious, right? So there's ways to, to, to enable that to happen. It, it, there's no process you can do to develop it. You just have to kind of create the environment for it. But you said two really interesting things. You talked about, um, you know, there's a real um, tension between being an expert and being curious. Uh, and so expertise and curiosity can be, can be uh, you know, expertise can shut out curiosity. And that's a challenge when you have so many different experts in a company and you, you need their expertise. 
but we find actually where, where it comes from is when you put two different skill sets together and you don't have this, uh, let's say you, you don't have this strict bias, let's say as an advertising agency to have the ECD lead the charge and lead the idea development. If you do that, you, you need a really generous ECD to, to bring all the energy and all the creativity up. You actually have to have a little bit of tension between the creative teams you put together. When I say creative teams, I'm using quotes. It could be a technologist. We're doing a project for a very big entertainment company right now. And we've paired an experienced lead uh, who's quite strategic with, with a pretty deep technologist who knows uh, um, uh, OpenGL, which is a web-based 3D uh, you know, uh, uh, model that you can develop 3D environments in. And that tension's been interesting. you know, and, and they've made the work better. And sometimes you just have to ask the right question so they answer it. Uh, it takes time for them to build trust. And the reason the thing you said about scale is absolutely true. We've tried to follow um, uh, the Dunbar number, which is, you know, only one person could know 150 people. Not not strictly, strictly, but we try to break mm -hmm. down the big thing into smaller things. Because if you don't have the trust between the teams, you're not going to get people to bring up ideas that may be uh, shot down or, or um, pushed back on, right? So that's another key element. That's what's so fascinating about this business is that you – it's it's quite fragile when you think of it that way, right? Because you're really creating these environments of people, but that's also why it's so unique. It's why why clients have a very hard time creating that environment inside of their their own companies, you know. Um, so that intersection of talent is key. Bringing in those new experts is key, uh, and and sometimes pairing uh, unlikely pairs is the way that we we get to that. Yeah, I love the uh, the idea of you know you can always tell the creative and curious in an agency because they're not the ones sitting at their desk all day. They're the ones wandering around and they're creating these, which is why working in an office is so important yes, on one level true. because you get these random interactions as you're walking around where suddenly new ideas can come from two people from very different perspectives suddenly yes. start having a conversation. Yes, that's exactly right. I think that's the, that's, the, uh, that's the magic everybody looks for and wants to recreate. And you see teams in the company go through six, 12-month, three-month spurts where they have that, you know, and it might be a, a client that inspires that or a project or, or a certain team. So I try to keep the, the teams that do that together, obviously, and that's often leads to how I build uh, and cast leadership teams for a region. You know, we, we look at the, the pairings and, and, the, and the kind of chemistry between everybody. Trinity P3. I love that idea of you need some, you know, some tension and some, you know, friction in a way, because uh, I always use the metaphor of uh, oysters only produce pearls when a bit of sand gets in there and irritates the crap out of it. <laughs> you know, that's where pearls come from. And I, I often find myself explaining to clients, you know, you don't want the agency that is just compliant all the time. You want the one that causes that bit of friction, because that's where the pearls are going to come from. You know, this idea that uh, we're going to do these surveys to make sure that our, we're happy with our agency. Well, you know whether you're happy or not, but happiness is not the measure. Performance is the measure. The whole reason that we're in this is to actually create ideas and, and implement them in a way that drives performance. And if that means some irritation along the way, well, as long as you're getting a handful of pearls out of it, you should be happy. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good metaphor. And it's really, it's actually really, really true. And I think I have to give, you know, there's a lot of brave clients we work with to be able to uh, buy some of the ideas we brought them. So that's a that's essential, right? But it's also imperative for the agency to understand 
the company. And I talked about the translation part before. So if we're going to propose something that's going to have an impact on technical infrastructure or, or a sponsorship deal they might have, understanding that and knowing who that other person on the other end is helps the client sell that concept in. And we've gotten much better at that at RGA, better, better understanding uh, through just our growth, through, through media, through our technology platforms, and just through understanding organizations better. Because uh, we weren't, we didn't start as an agency, so we didn't have classic client service people. We don't, you know, I I began as a developer, as I told you, technologist, and ended up doing many different roles. So you have to learn that muscle, uh, whereas some other traditional advertising agencies have that uh, just embedded in. Yeah, and um, look, that was something that was very clear the first time uh, I came into RGA. Is you know, I think uh, Bob actually explained how it really was a production company for the for the film and entertainment industry and uh, how very early on they embraced technology as a way of creating film you know opening sequences and trailers and yep. all sorts of things using technology that that was innovative for the entertainment industry and I love the fact in fact I read somewhere that they had a policy of every 9 years reinventing the company or reviewing the company is that something that still continues today it's still it's still a driving spirit. And actually, what's interesting about that is that nine-year cycle um, it really follows the path of technological disruption. You know, technological disruption often happens in nine to ten-year cycles. It's not perfectly scientific, but you you can start to see that from from our business alone, starting in the film business in the mid '70s. You know, film, physical film. Yeah. Uh, Bob and his brother invented you know uh, optical printers to print uh, the Superman title sequence on that that quickly gave way to you know uh, the digital studio and then the desktop studio then the the, the the web came up and those were happening within you know roughly within nine year increments we're 45 years old this year it's wow. time for the next one right so we're, we're preparing and working on looking at that next iteration of rga and a lot of it will have to do with what you were talking about what we we're talking about earlier a little bit is just the the amount the distributed creativity we have with the company. The peop- we have a truly global agency company that we built ourselves. It's been a tremendous advantage during the during the um, past few years, and I think that could be accelerated even further. Uh, some of our our biggest and and uh, best and longest standing relationships are across nine to ten different locations uh, uh, in the company. So that that's going to be a, a significant driver of that. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up that reminded me of this, because in our new office, which you'll have to visit when you see it, it's, it's, it's wonderful, open floor plan. It's the opposite of the old office in terms of the uh, nooks and crannies that we had, but it's a, a great space for collaboration and, and, uh, and, and for um, uh, presentations and client meetings and just light, really wonderful. I was there four days this week. We have an edit room, and uh, in the edit room is the old Superman uh, uh, artwork that we did in that first film but we were in the room we were taking a uh, client through a demo and we were demoing uh, Dolly 2 I'm not sure if you've seen or heard about Dolly 2 it's it's the uh, artificial intelligence platform where you can you know uh, text prompt it and it'll, it'll create an image for you and it's just incredible to think about the early innovations that were happening at RJ at that time and now we're using one of the most you know transformative technologies that's going to come into this creative industry very very quickly and I think now, this is not a commercial thing yet for us or for another agency, but it's going to be incredibly powerful. I think it's going to be uh, adapted to editing. It's going to be adapted to uh, you know full-on 3D uh, environments that you can create. And I think that's another example of, of, of creative people needing to be curious and, and uh, experimental with those platforms 
to learn them, you know, because I think human ingenuity, I believe, will, will, will win out and we'll be able to, you know, create very new things with these platforms. And that's a that's a one of the newer technologies that we're really pursuing and pushing and learning from right now. Yeah, it uh, makes me uh, think of the, the whole idea of artificial intelligence. The people that say that they're fearful of it because it will eventually take over everything. I, I think they forget or undervalue the human mind and, and a truly curious mind can create things that a huge amount of computer power would be required. You know, I, I think often of artificial intelligence could be like the thousand monkeys on the typewriters. Uh, hopefully they'll eventually get to Shakespeare, whereas human beings still make those random connections that uh, that lead to amazing things. And I think it's a long way off. Sean, um, look, this has been a really exciting conversation. I'm so excited uh, to hear about RGA, your uh, your leadership and the, the way that it's evolved and the direction it's going. But we've unfortunately run out of time. I hope to, uh, when I next in New York, I'll definitely be knocking on your door and uh, seeing the new office because it's uh, it's been a long time since I've been on an aeroplane. But thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you, Darren. And, and uh, you're welcome uh, to visit anytime when you're in New York. I, I hope to see you soon in Australia as well. Thank you very much for the time today. So, Sean, one last question before you go, and that is, uh, you know, you've worked on a lot of really you know, innovative and breakthrough projects, but I'm just wondering, what's the one that you would want to have as sort of almost your epitaph of your career at the end of it? Mm-hmm.